0: From Bayside Church International, Victor Harbour. This is Chad Mansbridge. I'm very excited about this morning. I only had three coffees. So you can tell me to calm down, I'm, I'm fine. Uh, for those who are visiting, we, you've actually come not only at Easter, but you've come uh, in the midst of a preaching series that we are doing as a church. We have a strong value for teaching and uh, preaching from the Holy Scripture. And we're doing a teaching series at the moment called Revealed. And what we're doing is looking at the Gospel of John, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, the fourth Gospel. And we're looking at the seven miraculous signs that Jesus performed prior to His own resurrection. And so we've called this series Revealed, unveiling the seven signs of Christ in the Gospel of John. The whole purpose of the Gospel of John is revealed to us right toward the end, at the end of chapter 20, where the author says this, He says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples which are not recorded in this book. But the ones I have recorded have been put here so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ and when you believe in him, you may receive life in His name. The whole idea of the Gospel of John is to reveal who Jesus is. Seven chosen signs are given to us to inspire faith in those of us who have not seen Jesus physically, to have faith in believing that He is who He said He is. And when we believe in Jesus, we are guaranteed the promise of life eternal. What could be more important than that and so in this series we've been looking at these seven signs we've so far seen four of them today we're going to look at number five and each of them as I said reveals something about God's name and nature that's what miracles do that's what good stories of God's goodness do they reveal something of his name and something of his nature which is unchanging if God has done something in the past and revealed something about himself you can take that attribute to the bank today because God does not change So His name and nature is revealed through miracles. The other reason that we are given these signs, as that scripture said, is to inspire faith in us to believe in Jesus, because nothing is more important than that, than taking Jesus at His word, that He is who He says He is. And the other thing that these miracles do, uh, and the, the Gospel of John particularly brings this up, is that they draw a correlation between Moses and Jesus. Okay, this is not too early in the morning to get a bit theological, all right? Those of us who are reading through the Bible chronologically this year on YouTube, (coughs) subscribe today. Those um, who are reading the Bible along this year in a year, we've been reading a lot about Moses. And one of the things that Moses does just before he dies is he promises God's people in chapter 18 of Deuteronomy, he says, one day in the last days, there will be another prophet just like me that's going to come. And when he comes, you better listen to him. It's really, really important that you listen to this prophet that comes who is just like me. And in the first century, because of a whole lot of mathematics and calculations that God's people were doing at the time, their heightened sense of one day soon this prophet is, is coming was really, really at its peak. And John introduces us to that because in chapter 1 of John, a Philip goes to a guy called Nathaniel and says, "Nathaniel, guess what, mate? We have found the one that Moses spoke about we have found the one that moses spoke about the one who is just like moses and what nathaniel does is he comes out from under the fig tree the fig tree is a picture of old testament Israel of Old Testament Judaism. He comes out from under that tree and he comes to meet Jesus because not only does chapter 1 say that Jesus is like Moses, but chapter 1 of John says that Jesus is far superior to Moses because the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus and while they are they are the same, same, they are very different. Same same but different, you know, same same but different. Same same but superior. And so Jesus' signs, the miracles that he performs, are to get Jewish people thinking, whoa, this guy's just like Moses, but way better. The first sign we see Jesus performing in the Gospel of John is where he changes water into Wine. wine. What did Moses do in the book of Exodus? The first plague that came upon Egypt, he turns water into blood. Water into blood, water into wine, same, same, but superior. The second sign we saw, Rob preached on this in the second week of our series, he heals a a dying son of a Roman official. The Romans were the political people that were oppressing God's people at the time and Jesus heals the son of a Roman official. What does Moses do? He oversees the death of the sons of the Egyptians the death of the firstborn, because of Moses' words, the deaths of the sons of of those oppressing God's people die. Jesus comes along and he heals the son of those who are oppressing God's people. Same, same, but superior. In the third part of this series, the third sign, Rachel looked at it uh, a few weeks ago. You can look at this on, on our iTunes. She spoke about the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000 with a miraculous provision of bread. And Jesus fed the masses. What did Moses do? He fed the masses every day with fresh bread from heaven. The difference with Moses' bread, manna, was that you weren't to collect it because it would not last the next day. If you collected it, which they did, it got maggots in it and it rotted. This bread was good for a day, but that was it. After that, it turned to poo. Jesus comes along. Well, whatever, you know, it's it's, it's there in the Hebrew. Jesus comes along (laughs) and he feeds the multitudes with bread. And when there's leftovers, he says, guys, collect it, take it home, because this is still going to be good for you tomorrow. Same, same, but superior. And there are 12 basketfuls. It is a picture of... God's people in Egypt, of course, the 12 tribes of of, of Israel. Last week, Jay spoke about the miracle of Jesus walking on the water. It is one of the most popular miracles of Moses where he gets to the red sea he parts the sea and he walks through the water and god's people follow him jesus same same but superior does not need dry ground to pass through the water he just walks over the stuff in the middle of the storm he surpasses the law of physics and he walks on top of the storm and he says pete you can come and do the same just keep your eyes on me same same but superior and today, we're going to skip ahead to the seventh sign in this series, or in the Gospel of John, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. I want to speak about the raising of Lazarus today from the dead. It is a hugely significant miracle, which I'll explain again later. It is a massively significant miracle, and it's the whole reason, or one of the primary reasons, that we have this thing called Palm Sunday, like the kids said on the video, where people throw leaves at Jesus, okay? That whole thing from last week. Thousands of people gathered to welcome Jesus into the capital city, Jerusalem. The reason they did that, as we find out today, is because Lazarus was raised from the dead. They came not only to see Jesus, they came to see the dead man who was walking. And so that is a miracle we're going to look at today. And now that might sound strange to you, for me to be talking about someone else rising from the dead, because it's Easter and you came here to hear about Jesus rising from the dead. Didn't you? Come on, this is what... Show me your expectations. (laughs) Those of you who are regulars, expected an Easter egg in the offering bucket. It wasn't a surprise to you. Those of you visiting, okay, your expectations were superseded. Um, Whatever. Anyway, what am I saying? I'm going to talk about Lazarus. It is a significant miracle. And I'm not... And I want to talk about that because it is one thing... Here's the point, preacher. It is one thing to talk about Jesus rising from the dead. It is another thing entirely to talk about Jesus as the one who is able to raise others from the dead. Because that is where this stuff gets real. That's where this gets real. Jesus is the resurrection and the life and he was not only in control of his own resurrection, but he, my friends, is in the business today, yesterday the same, today, yesterday and forever, Jesus is in the business of bringing dead things back to life. And that's what we want to look at today. Amen? John chapter 11. Now, a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. And this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one whom you love is sick. Bethany is um, about two and a half k's away from Jerusalem, which is the capital city of the Jewish people, um, where their temple and and, uh, their home base is. That's about two and a half k's away. For the locals, that's basically the distance of Franklin Parade, okay, from the boat ramp to the roundabout at Kent Reserve. So, it's close to Jerusalem and at this time of the year, it was in the lead up, this is a week before a big festival that was happening, uh, the Easter Passover festival actually, and a lot like Victor Harbour, there were thousands and thousands of people passing through this town to get to Jerusalem on foot. So, Bethany, they reckon at the time... Uh, had a population of about 25,000 people, so similar to down here, but at this time of the year, over 100,000 visitors came. So the population quadrupled or (laughs) five-oopled, pentupled, I don't know what the word is, quadrupled or times five, you know, there's about 100,000 visitors came. So very similar to our time of the year here, okay, about 25,000 people, 100,000 visitors, they would pass through this city or this little town of Bethany and this is where Lazarus, Mary and Martha is. I won't go into it too much today, except to say that it is intriguing to me that Lazarus, not only in this verse, but three times in this story, is described as the one whom Jesus loved. Three times is very key, because once is a coincidence, two is meh, three is whoa. He's making a point in this story of saying that Lazarus is the one whom Jesus loved. Lazarus is the only man by name that is given this honour in the whole of the Scripture. It's interesting as well because Lazarus is only found in this book. And as I said four weeks ago, and I won't make a big deal of it, but you can talk about it over lunch. Hey, there it is. I've got a few more coming. This gospel is written by a man who describes himself as the disciple whom... Jesus loved. Church fathers, historically, are split over which John it is that apparently wrote this gospel. Some say it was John the Apostle, but earlier church fathers say there was a different John. But John the Apostle and John the author are two different people. So, my query is, if Lazarus is the one whom Jesus loved and this gospel was written by the disciple whom Jesus loved, could it be that Lazarus is actually the John that wrote this book? going by a different name and here he is telling his story as told to him or retold to him by his sisters i'll leave that with you moving on when he'd heard this the one that you love is sick jesus said this sickness will not end in death everyone say "End." End. good good on you no it is for god's glory so that god's son may be glorified with it now as you know the story this sickness does result in death but it does not end in death. This sickness ends in resurrection. Yeah. It did not end in death, otherwise Jesus is a liar. No, 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 it doesn't end in death. The result along the way might be death, but that's not the end of the story. Death is not the end of the story when Jesus is invited to play a part in the in that. Verse 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, But when he heard Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. Everybody say, us. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you to death, and yet you are going back there? Do you see what they did there? (laughs) Let us go. Nah, they're going to kill you. Are you sure you want to? (laughs) It's like they're already saying... Mm, up to you mate but we're not coming with you okay (laughs) good luck jesus off you go but it's not for us the point is as you keep reading the verses we'll skip over a few for the sake of time he tells them listen i'm committed to going to this funeral lazarus has died and i need to go there and be part of the arrangements verse 16 we'll skip down it says then thomas who was called didymus thomas is his hebrew name didymus is a greek name they both mean twin thomas called didymus said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go so that we may die with him. Now there's two ways you can read this. Thomas could be very morbid and be saying, Lazarus is dead, let us go and just face the fact that we're going to die as well. Or he could be saying, listen fellas, let us go. Because if Jesus goes there and he gets stoned to death as is promised, I'm willing for us to die with Jesus. One is a very morbid interpretation, oh, let us go and die with Lazarus, it's all over. One is a very victorious interpretation that says, no, 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 let us go with Jesus, I'm willing to die with him. How many of you know that Thomas gets a bit of a bad rap in the scriptures? This is one of the advantages of having four Gospels and hearing the story from four different perspectives. You all know what this is like. You've all heard a story, a friend or a family member has told you about something that happened and you weren't there. And after hearing it from a second person, you realize, oh, I'm glad I heard another point of view. Otherwise, I would have come to some very wrong conclusions. Some of us can read Matthew, Mark and Luke and come to the conclusion that Thomas was a doubter. Many of us have heard us called Thomas the doubter. I believe he wasn't. I believe he was a strong man of faith. And he stands up in the midst of the disciples and says, listen, if Jesus is going to die because the Jews hate him and they're going to stone him, I'm willing to go with him and I'm willing to die with him because of my belief in him. It's Thomas that said, I won't believe until I touch his hands when he raised. And that's not, again, a sign of doubt. That's a sign of conviction. Because Jesus had said, after I die, false Jesuses are going to come and I don't want you to believe them. If someone comes and says, I'm Jesus, don't believe them. Thomas did not believe because he was told not to. He was told to not believe. That's why he said, I'm not going to fall for any con. I need to make sure that he's got holes in his hands because Jesus warned us that this would happen. Thomas, in this gospel, is the one that gives the greatest revelation of who Jesus is at the end of the book, where he falls before Jesus when he realizes he's raised from the dead. And he says to Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. That is a stonable offense in this culture. And yet Thomas is the one that says that. I think Thomas probably needs a little bit more credit than what maybe we've given him in the past, eh? And this author who, uh, well... Anyway, he paints Thomas in a very good light. Let's let's just say that. Let's keep reading. Verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. uh, Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Okay, so this is what what Jews did in in this period of history. When someone died, they would... Wrap them in cloths with essential oils, as the, uh, the kids said on the video, okay, which was just to stave off the odor, the decomposition odor, for as, as best as they could. And if they were a wealthy enough family, they'd own a tomb, which was basically a rock cut out of the side of a, a mountain in a garden or something with a stone on the front. It was a family tomb. And what they'd do is they'd wrap the person, and the same day, they would carry that person. Their hands and their feet would be tied together because you don't want them flopping about when you're carrying a dead corpse. It's not, not good for a funeral, right? So they'd tie their hands together, rack, wrap them in a cloth, and they'd put them in this tomb. They didn't mummify them. That was Egypt. Okay, they didn't. They didn't do that. The Jews didn't go to all that trouble. They let the body die a natural death. Okay, they put it in the tomb. They'd leave it there for about a year, then they'd come back later. And they get the bones out, put it in a bone box and, and, and put that into a side of the, of the tomb. Okay, that's called an ossuary. All right, get this. In 1973, they're digging around Bethany on the Mount of Olives, because that's where it is on the, on the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. They're digging around there and they're finding ossuary inscriptions. And they found ossuary inscriptions with the names Mary, Martha and Lazarus all together. Wow. Now they are common names. It may not be this family, but it's still pretty cool. <laughs> the family's also... So they'd take the bones, they'd put them in uh, this bone box, and then, of course, the tomb could be used again for another family member that carks it later on, okay? So they'd keep using, using this tomb. Four days is significant for a couple of reasons. Number one, on the physical side of things, four, the fourth day is when the decomposition of the body really kicks in. I don't want to go into too much detail, I thought about YouTubing a medical video to show you, but it's pretty hideous, all right? Rigor mortis sets in after the first, toward the first day, and it's in the third and fourth day where the body bloats, sometimes to twice its size, because all the bacteria are now starting to eat away at the body, they're letting gases come out, the body can bloat right up, the, the, the parts, organs of the body literally begin to liquefy, green fluid starts coming out of people's... I- Is that too much? <laughs> Is that much okay? So, and because of all these gases, I mean, you talk to people at it's like bodies fart all the time. All right, this is—it's just letting off gases, and because of that, this all happens around the fourth day. It starts to really stink. All right, listen, it's going to happen to all of you. Just that's what's going to happen. All right, so, so this is uh, this is one of the keys about the fourth day. and We'll find this out later. But there's another subtle thing about the fourth day. There was a Jewish tradition, not biblical, but in some Jewish writings called the Kabbalah or something, which is oral traditions that were written down, they found this uh, as late as the second century, so it could have been applicable here in the first. The Jews had this tradition where they believed that the soul of the person, after death, would hover around the dead body for three days. And then after three days, if the body was still dead, on the fourth day, the soul would go, into the Hadean realm or Sheol and be united with the fathers and the body would then decompose. So they saw the fourth day decomposition, that's when the body really is dead. And I don't know exactly where this comes from, my guess is that it comes from Hosea 6 because there is a prophecy in Hosea 6 about um, on the third day God will rise us, okay? But nevertheless, they came up with this, this theory that after three days the, the soul would hover and then after, on the fourth day it would disappear. So this is John's way of saying this guy was dead, okay this is different to the other resurrections that jesus did you remember jesus raised two other people from the dead a little girl who he raised from the dead and a widow's son from a town called Nain. both of those two deaths had this in common he raised them on the very day they died okay because the widow's son was being carried to the tomb that happens on the same day okay and the little girl was still in her bed so those deaths happened straight away within that three-day period this gospel is very specific to saying, no, 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 Lazarus, he won't just dead, he were dead. All right? He were dead. He was dead. New American Bible. Okay. <laughs> Bethany. <laughs> Keep reading. Verse 18. Uh, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. This was obviously a well-known family in the area. When Martha heard Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here earlier, my brother wouldn't have died. In other words, I know you could have healed him if you'd just been on time. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha answered, yeah, 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 I know. He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, into the future sometime. And then Jesus said to her, I am, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe in me, he who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who's come into the world. I'll go into this a little bit later, but Jesus here differentiates between physical death and what some would call spiritual death, or I prefer the term covenantal death, relational, uh, cut off from God's life. Anyway, so spiritual death and physical death. But what I find interesting, and what I want you to pay attention to, is that Martha comes to Jesus and said, if only you had been here in the past... And then she says i know one day in the future but jesus wants her to hear today i am not i was not i will be but i am the resurrection and the life right now the past is important and we need to live with a good view of the future But Jesus is the I am today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day where Jesus is the I am. And I love what the other thing that the the author does here, just like he paints Thomas in a good light, he also does so with Martha. How many of you know Martha's had a bit of a bad rap over the years? Martha, 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 right? So she's the one who, when Mary's worshipping, Uh, Jesus kind of has a go at her. Well, at least your sister's doing the the best thing. So we've kind of had Martha in a bad light. But listen, it was Martha that went out to Jesus first. And it's Martha that had a conversation with Jesus that was very respectful. It's Martha that had a theology in line. It's Martha that said, yes, I believe you are who you say you are. And I just have this feeling, like again, this fourth gospel writer having read the other gospels first because this is the most last one is including details the other don't so that you and i don't get a wrong picture about who these people were martha i am the resurrection and the life and then she goes and gets mary we'll skip down to verse 32 it says when mary reached the place where jesus was and she saw him she fell at his feet and said lord if you had been here my brother would not have died Heard that before. When Jesus saw her weeping and also the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping he was deeply moved in his spirit and he was troubled and he said, where have you laid him? Come and see Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. And then the Jews said, see how He loved him. It's a real good lesson that Jesus models for us about how to deal with people who are going through emotional pain. When Jesus saw Mary weeping, and Jesus saw everyone weeping, he said, Why don't you pull yourself together? Stop blaming me for being late. Don't you know better? Don't you know your Bible better? Don't you know? Why can't you be a bit more like your sister Martha? At least she has a good resurrection theology. What's the matter with you? Get over it. He's been dead for four days. Get on with life. How many of you know sometimes, those of us who are reading the Bible together this year, chronologically, we've read the book of Job. The book of Job is all about how to deal with friends who are going through an emotional turmoil. And Jesus models something really well here. He doesn't tell Mary off for being emotional. He is empathetic with her. He weeps. He knows what's going to happen. He knows in five minutes' time this whole thing's going to turn around. Why did he weep? He felt the emotion. He empathised. He sympathised. The Greeks would use this word in in the first century about their gods. The word apathetic comes from the Greek. It means to have no feeling. And that's what the the Greeks would describe their gods that way. No feelings. They, they They don't feel towards humans anything, Jesus comes along and He demonstrates what God's like, He empathizes and sympathizes with the feelings of people who are going through an emotional time. This is part of love, love is patient, love is kind, love is long-suffering, love doesn't slap suffering over the side of the head and say, get on with it, love says, I hear your suffering. But what Jesus does in love is He speaks the truth. Ephesians 4, these two things go together, speaking the truth in love, And so Jesus doesn't just pat them on the back and say, there, there, dear, I know how you're feeling. He says, listen, this is the truth. Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? Speaking the truth in love. Is that a good lesson? You know what love does, kindness does, is it makes the, it lessens the pain. But it is truth that will ultimately heal the wound. Come on. You still with me? Love, kindness, when someone's going through suffering, kindness will ease the pain. But it will be truth, ultimately, that heals the problem. And that's why sometimes patting people on the back year after year with the same issues is not the answer. You're making them feel better, but healing comes when truth is embraced. So both are necessary. Speaking the truth in love, Jesus models that for us in a wonderful way. What verse are we up to? The shortest verse in the Bible? Have we done that? It's not the shortest verse in the Bible. For those who are visiting, I don't want to be controversial, but I do like to be a little unconventional every now and again, alright? That's just just how I thought. In the English, Jesus wept is the shortest verse, but the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible's New Testament was written in Greek. And there is a verse shorter than this in the Greek, and it's 1 Thessalonians 5, that says rejoice always. In English, Jesus wept. Oh, that's that's a... Ah, in Greek, rejoice always. So you can learn two verses today and understand that both are important. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Verse 37... But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Again, here they are living in the past. Jesus once more deeply moved came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time, I love that as the story goes on, he's not called Lazarus anymore, he's just called The corpse, you know. (laughs) But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odour because he has been there for four days. The King James Version says, but Lord, he stinketh. (laughs) What are you thinking? Get out the Glen 20. Okay, verse 40. (laughs) Send in the canary at least. I mean, come on. Verse 40. Then Jesus said... Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you, you've heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I'm saying this for the benefit of these people standing here so that they may believe that you sent me. Jesus, remember, is now in the middle of a group of people who only a few weeks earlier were ready to kill him. In the first miracle, Jesus performed the water into wine. When Mary says, come on, Jesus, do something. He says, nah, nah, not my time yet. I don't want people to see who I am. Now Jesus is coming to terms that he knows if he does something about this in this area at this time of the year, when 100,000 people are walking through this town, everybody's going to know who he is. When he said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus nobody else, just Lazarus, (laughs) just you mate, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and his feet still wrapped in strips of linen and a cloth still around his face and then Jesus said to him, take off the grave clothes for goodness sake and let him go. I think it's amazing. I skipped a whole bunch of verses because it is a long story. This is 44 verses setting up the scene and it all is over in one sentence. He said, come out. He did and they took his grave clothes off. That's it. (laughs) All that build up and it's just like one verse. The end. (laughs) They live happily ever after. (laughs) The end. It's incredible to me because you've got to imagine what the heck happened when they rolled away the stone did they get hit with that smell? Or was the smell taken away? How did that work? When he came out, he was still tied up. I mean, did he literally hop, hop out like this? Was he going... Did they see him? What did they say? Were they screaming? Were they crying? Were they hysterical? Were people fainting on the ground? When Jesus... Did Jesus go... For, you know, was he like... What what do you think? Do something, people. What did he look like when they took the clothes off? Were there still being green pieces of pus and dead skin around the clothes? I don't know. What happened? What did they say to him? What did he say? What did he see? Did his soul really leave his body? Did he go to be gathered to his fathers and then somehow got awakened from that? Did he hear Jesus' voice? Did he realize when he opened his eyes that he had died? Lazarus, what did you see? Did you see a tunnel? Did you see a light? Did you hear angels? What happened, mate? Or were they all just dumbstruck and they just stunned? I don't know. You can talk about that over lunch. I mean, that's just a good... That's just a... What the heck happened here? But what we do know, if you go home and read chapter 12, is the impact of this story. It says, because of this miracle many local people Jews Jews Jewish people from the Judean era many people came to believe not everyone because some people still went and dibbidobid on Jesus and went to tell the religious leaders in the capital city in Jerusalem. And they said, listen, this is getting out of hand. He's performed such a big miracle. Everyone's going to believe in him now. The Romans are not going to put up with this. They're going to destroy our temple, take over the city. We need to shut this guy down. And the chief priest said, listen, if we don't stop this now because of this story, the whole world is going to hear about it. And so what they do in, 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 in chapter 12 is they decide then, it says they decided we're going to kill this Jesus guy and we're going to kill this Lazarus guy. Because on account of him, Lazarus became the greatest evangelist in that Ju- Jerusalem area. People were hearing about him. As I said right at the start, it's because of this miracle that thousands, hundreds... I'm a preacher, I can say masses of people. Uh, that thousands of people came out and greeted Jesus because they heard of this story and they wanted to see the dead man walking. And then instantly, after hearing this, the last thing we see of Lazarus is that he's reclining at a table with Jesus eating and then suddenly Lazarus disappears from the story and you never see his name again. Until 1973. (laughs) Chad, what's the point of all this? Today, there are millions of people, maybe billions, worldwide who are remembering the death and the resurrection, not of Lazarus, but of Jesus. And like Lazarus, Jesus experienced an absolute, 100% physical death of his biological body. And like Lazarus, Jesus experienced a 100% literal, physical death Breathing, living, heart pumping body resurrection again of his physical body. He experienced a raising of his physical body from a horrific physical death. Like Lazarus, he was put in a tomb. Like Lazarus, he found his way out again. And this gospel and one of the others, I think it might be Luke, go to great pains to tell us that the same body Jesus died in is the body that was raised from the dead. Touch my hands. See, I'm not a spirit. I'm not Casper. I'm not a ghost, all right? I have flesh. I have bones. It's me. Look at me. It's me. He was the same body. I am of the persuasion that Jesus' body was no, no different to what it was 33 years of his life. Some people say, oh, well, he had a better body because he could walk through walls. No, Jesus walked through crowds in the book of John. He walked on water. Walking through walls is no big deal. No. Same body, same miracle worker, same guy physical resurrection just like Lazarus but there is something different about Jesus resurrection and Paul knew this when he started preaching the gospel in one of his trials in the book of acts in chapter 22 he's standing up between uh, before a, a guy called Agrippa i think it was and Festus <laughs> what a terrible name especially after all that imagery of the dead guy Festus okay Festus And he stands up in Acts 26. Let's put this on the screen, verse 22. And he says, listen, what I am preaching to you. Wrong page, Chad. He says, I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and the Gentiles. Paul says that Jesus is the first to rise from the dead. Well, that's not true. Eh, Wrong, Paul. Chad just spent half an hour telling us that Lazarus rose from the dead. Jesus ain't the first. There's a story of a widow's son from name. He rose from the dead. Jesus ain't the first. There's a little girl that rose from the dead. Jesus ain't the first. Elisha and Elijah both raised people from the dead. Jesus ain't the first. So what do you mean when you say Jesus was the first to rise from the dead? Thanks for coming, guys. Come back next week, and we'll. Um... well thank you. Come on. Tell Come on. Us. Come tell us. Yeah, tell us. Jesus had a physical death, like Lazarus, but there was a special type of death that Jesus experienced. And as the first to experience that death, well, not the first to experience that death, but he was the first to raise from that dead, from that death. Not only a physical death. But he experienced what it was to die in sin and to raise from that death into new life. To experience sin death, covenant death, spiritual death, and then to be raised from that kind of death. Dead, no relationship with God. Because it was on the cross a couple of days ago that Jesus said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why are we now separated? Why have I drank this cup? I did not want to drink. I know I need to do this, but I'd much rather not because I don't want to experience the death, the spiritual, covenantal death that is, being, that, that is the death of being separated from your life. What is death? It's been cut off from life. Yes, Jesus was cut off from physical life, but he was also cut off from the life of the presence of God. It is that death that he experienced. And this word in in Acts 26, where it says he was the first to rise from the dead, is the Greek word protos, from which we get the word proto, prototype. He was the first. He was an example. He was a model. Just like Adam in the Garden of Eden was a model of what it was like to be alive to God and then dead to him. God said, on the day you take the fruit, you will die. And Adam did not die physically that day. He lived another 900 years. Abel died first. Adam was not the first man to die physically. Abel was. So the death Adam experienced on the day was a relational death. He was cut off from that real, authentic, living, dynamic relationship with the presence of God. It is that death that Jesus experienced on the cross. And it is that death that he was raised back to life from as the first to rise into spiritual life from a state of spiritual death. And so Paul can write to the early Christians in a city called Ephesus and he could say to them, people who had no Jewish background, like most of us here today, he could say to them, as for you, you were dead. Ephesians 2 verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. But... God, who is rich because of his great love for us, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in sin. Not physical death, sin death. We were dead in sin because it is by his grace that you have been saved, healed, whole. It is by his grace that you have been raised from that place of relational death to God. It is by grace, verse 8, You have been saved. It is through faith and this is not of yourself. It is God's gift to you, not by works so that no one can boast and say, I did that. What's your point, preacher? Lazarus did not raise himself from the dead. He did nothing to see himself go from a state of death to a state of life. What happened to Lazarus is that Jesus spoke to him. He heard a voice. And in response to that voice, he made his way out of the tomb where he no longer belonged. All Lazarus did was respond to the voice of him who said, I am the resurrection and I am the life. My words that come to you are spirit and life. That is what happened to you and I when we heard the voice of Jesus speak to us from a state of relational death, sin death, covenant death, dead to God. We heard his voice, we responded and somehow we've made our way out of our tomb. Because he is alive, the first to rise, to experience this resurrection. So also as a prototype. It is a promise to those of us, as that verse says, who believe, who had faith. I write these things to you so you may believe Jesus is who he says he is. And when you believe in that, you will be guaranteed life in his name. There are three groups of people here today. Good looking ones, really good looking ones. that I don't know everyone that's here this morning. I don't know everyone that's listening or watching this recording. But I do feel like there are three distinct people groups here today. The first are those like Mary and Martha. You know what it's like to have it said of you, Jesus loves you. Because we read that today. It said Jesus loved Mary, he loved Martha, and he loved Lazarus. And you're sitting here today and you go, yeah, that's me. I know Jesus loves me. Like Mary and Martha, you know what it is to believe in Jesus. You have some type of theology. You have an understanding of who Jesus is. Like Martha, you can say, I know you're the Messiah. I know you are the Son of God. And I don't understand everything that's going on right now, but I know the future's okay because it's in your hands. For you today, I have three encouragements. The first is do whatever it takes to not grow complacent or indifferent to the incredible miracle that is His resurrection and ours. Like that video we showed before, let that news come to you today as a fresh, whoa, He is alive and I'm alive because of Him. That is freaking awesome. Don't grow complacent with that truth because it's a good thing. The second thing I want you to know today is that no matter what challenges come your way, and all of us face the challenges of life, the disappointment, the challenge of being disappointed in Jesus because he didn't come when I thought he would. The challenge of misunderstanding him because I thought he said this wouldn't end in death and yet that's all I'm seeing right now. The challenge of watching others around you weep and mourn And the tendency to say, if only God had come through with this. All of us know what that's like. I challenge you today, Mary and Martha, keep your faith confession. Know who He is. Know that He never changes. Jesus the same yesterday, today and forever. And believe in the unchanging nature of Jesus today. The third thing I want to encourage you in doing is this. Be part of a community that is dedicated to taking the grave clothes off of resurrected people. Because there's a lot of Christians, there's a lot of people that know Jesus, like Lazarus, that believe in Jesus, like Lazarus, that have experienced resurrected life, like Lazarus, and yet they're walking around like this. Still bound in religion, bound in the grave clothes of a previous life, do all you can to strip and to keep God's people free from the smell and the fragrance of death. And do all you can to rejoice with those who rejoice, but speak the truth in love to those who are mourning. Can you do that for me today? Speak the truth in love. Keep people free. But hold your belief in who Jesus has revealed himself to be and never grow complacent with the miracle of both his resurrection and yours. The second group of people today are those I guess like Lazarus and the others who were there in the tombs. You may never have heard it put this way, but in a relational sense, while you have a physical body that's breathing and hopefully not oozing much green liquid today or emitting gases, nevertheless, from a spiritual or from a relational point of view, you and God don't have a relationship. In fact, possibly you've found yourself being so disappointed in God I've just felt this yesterday that maybe you've even said to yourself, you know what, God is dead to me. He didn't come when I needed him. God is dead to me. How many of you heard people say that about a relationship? That person's dead to me. I felt God say yesterday, God is not the one who is dead. He is not the one that needs rising again. And I want to encourage you today, if you hear the voice of Jesus in your tomb, as muffled as it might be, Please respond to Him and come into a relationship with Him because He wants that for you. He is so worth getting to know. And you will die physically one day. Your body will go through all those things I mentioned. But there is an eternal life which is a relationship with Him. Jesus Himself said, eternal life is knowing God. And you can experience eternal life today yes when your physical body dies but from today entering into a living dynamic relationship with him and you might say look i would respond to jesus if he was there in the flesh and literally said my name come out if he speaks clearly enough i'll respond well listen lazarus didn't see jesus when he responded all he could see was a white cloth over his face Lazarus probably didn't hear Jesus clearly when he responded. He had cloths over his ears, full of oil still. But even today, if you hear a voice, even if it is a muffled voice, I'm going to ask you please to respond to Jesus. Come out of your stinking tomb. Because there's a third person here today. And he's here every time we get together. Part of my job and part of the job of the worship team, those who vacuumed yesterday, put out the chairs, are here early today. Part of our job is simply to roll away a stone so that some of you who have never heard his voice before can hear Jesus speak. And the third person that's here today is Jesus himself. And I believe he wants to speak to people today. Call you by name and say, I want to have a relationship with you. Would you please come into a living relationship with me? Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak the voice of Jesus into every person's heart here this morning. I pray that for those who are not possibly familiar with your voice, or maybe you've heard your voice but have never put a name to it, that today, as muffled as it might be, they would hear the voice of Jesus speaking to their heart and calling them by name. So Jesus, I ask you, please speak today please call people into life with you. If that's you today, I want everyone to look at me, please. If that's you today, if you've, if you've felt somewhere in this meeting, there's something different here, something like your strings of your heart are pulling, maybe you sense something that's beyond just physical or physiological, you've sensed something today, it might be muffled, But if there's any hope in you, any faith in you that says, I think this might be God speaking to me. Up till now, you're not familiar with his voice. You've never responded to him. You've never said, I want to go from death to life. And I want to respond to the invitation of Jesus to truly be in a relationship with him and know him. I want you, as you're looking at me today, as everyone's looking at me, to do that for the first time. Or if you have a relationship you consider is dead i have a dead relationship with god today you want to stand and come out of your tomb and say i want to live in an authentic dynamic relationship with him and however you currently understand that i want you to stand to your feet on the count of three and say that's me today that's me today i'm going to stand like lazarus hobbled out of that grave i'm going to stand in front of people today and say, I want to know Jesus, because the majority of us here already do. You're in good company. That's you today. If you, God is pulling on your heart, if Jesus is speaking to you, and you say today, I want to come to know Him, to go from death to life, and enter into a real relationship with Him. On the Canon of three, would you stand to your feet? Two. One. Please stand, and I want to pray with you. Do that now, please. Come on. Thank you. That's freaking awesome. Someone else. One more. Thank you. That's awesome, dude. Really awesome. I don't know what happened when Lazarus came out of the tomb, but today what we're going to do is we're all going to stand to our feet and we're going to give God a big round of applause and we're going to pray together. Can you do that? Everyone stand your feet. Why don't you just thank him for who he is today. No matter matter who you are today, including those two very brave people that I love, they're very dearly, and God knows your name. I do too, but God knows your name. Why don't everyone here today, just, if you feel comfortable, put a hand on your heart. I just like to pray like that. Pledge allegiance, that whole thing. This morning say, Jesus, I thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. I thank you, you promise eternal life to all those who would trust in you. This morning, to the best I know how, I say, Jesus, I trust you. With my life today, tomorrow, and for all eternity, you are Lord of lords. And you are the one who saves me from death. I thank you for dying on the cross for me and for giving me the gift of eternal life. Today is a new day. I thank you for playing a part in my life from this day on. And I want to know you more. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.